Homily 3, from the Homilies of St. John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople, on the Epistles of St. Paul the Apostle to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Translated by Philip Schaeff. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Homily 3, Titus 1, 12-14. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. There are several questions here. First, who it was that said this? Second, why Paul quoted it? Thirdly, why he brings forward a testimony that is not correct. Let us then offer a seasonable solution of these, having premised some other things. For when Paul was discoursing to the Athenians in the course of his harangue, he quoted these words. To the unknown God, and again, for we also are his offspring, as certain also of your own poets have said. It was Epimenides who said this himself, a Cretan, and whence he was moved to say, it is necessary to mention. It is this, the Cretans have a tomb of Jupiter, with this inscription, Here lieth Zan, whom they called Jove. On account of this inscription, then, the poet, ridiculing the Cretans as liars, as he proceeds, introduces, to increase the ridicule, this passage. For even a tomb, O king, of thee they made, who never diest, but I shall be. If then this testimony is true, observe what a difficulty. For if the poet is true who said that they spoke falsely in asserting that Jupiter could die, as the apostle says, it is a fearful thing. Attend, beloved, with much exactness. The poet said that the Cretans were liars for saying that Jupiter was dead. The apostle confirmed his testimony. So according to the apostle, Jupiter is immortal. For he says, this witness is true. What shall we say then? Or rather, how shall we solve this? The apostle has not said this, but simply and plainly applied this testimony to their habit of falsehood. Else why has he not added for even a tomb, O king, of thee they made? So that the apostle has not said this, but only that one had well said, the Cretans are always liars. But it is not only from hence that we are confident that Jupiter is not a god. From many other arguments we are able to prove this, and not from the testimony of the Cretans. Besides, he has not said that in this they were liars. Nay, it is more probable that they were deceived as to this point too, for they believed in other gods on which account the apostle calls them liars. And as to the question, why does he cite the testimony of the Greeks? It is because we put them most to confusion when we bring our testimonies and accusations from their own writers, when we make those of their accusers who are admired among themselves. For this reason, he elsewhere quotes those words to an, the unknown God. For the Athenians, as they did not receive all their gods from the beginning, but from time to time admitted some others, as those from the Hyperboreans, the worship of Pan, and the greater and the lesser mysteries. So these same, conjecturing that besides these, there might be some other god of whom they were ignorant, 
that they might be duly devoured to him also, erected to him an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, thereby almost implying, if there might be some God unknown to them, he therefore said to them, him whom you have by anticipation acknowledged, I declare to you. But those words, we also are his offspring, are quoted from Aratus, who, having previously said, Earth's paths are full of Jove, the sea is full, adds, For we too are his offspring, in which I conceive he shows that we are sprung from God. How then does Paul rest what is said of Jupiter to the God of the universe? He has not transferred to God what belongs to Jupiter, but what is applicable to God and was neither justly nor properly applied to Jupiter, this he restores to God since the name of God belongs to him alone and is not lawfully bestowed upon idols. Now from what writers should he address them? From the prophets? They would not have believed him, since with the Jews too he does not argue from the Gospels, but from the prophets. For this reason he says, Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, to them that are without the law as without the law, to those that are under the law as under the law. Thus does God too, as in the case of the wise men, he does not conduct them by an angel, nor a prophet, nor an apostle, nor an evangelist, but how? By a star. For as their art made them conversant with these, he made use of such means to guide them. So in the case of the oxen that drew the ark. If it goeth up by the way of his own coast, then he hath done us this great evil, as their prophets suggested. Do these prophets then speak the truth? No, but he refutes and confounds them out of their own mouths. Again, in the case of the witch, because Saul believed in her, he caused him to hear through her what was about to befall him. Why then did Paul stop the mouth of the spirit that said, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And why did Christ hinder the devils from speaking of him? In this case, there was reason, since the miracles were going on. For here it was not a star that proclaimed him, but he himself. And the demons again were not worshipped, for it was not an image that spoke that it should be forbidden. He also suffered Balaam to bless, and did not restrain him. Thus he everywhere condescends. And what wonder, for he permitted opinions erroneous and unworthy of himself to prevail, as that he was a body formally, and that he was visible, an opposition to which he says, God is spirit, again, that he delighted in sacrifices, which is far from his nature, and he utters words at variance with his declarations of himself, and many such things. For he nowhere considers his own dignity, but always what will be profitable to us. And if a father considers not his own dignity, but talks lispingly with his children, and calls their meat and drink, not by their Greek names, but by some childish and barbarous words, much more doth God. Even in reproving, he condescends, as when he speaks by the prophet, hath a nation changed their gods? And in every part of scripture there are instances of his condescension, both in words and actions. Verse 13. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. This he says because their disposition was forward, deceitful, and dissolute. 
they have these numberless bad qualities and because they are prone to lying deceiving gluttonous and slothful severe reproof is necessary for such characters will not be managed by mildness therefore rebuke them he speaks not here of gentiles but of his own people sharply give them he says a stroke that cuts deep for one method is not to be employed with all but they are to be differently dealt with according to their various characters and dispositions he does not here have recourse to exhortation for as he who treats with harshness meek and ingenuous may destroy them so he who flatters one but requires severity causes him to perish and does not suffer him to be reclaimed that they may be sound in the faith this then is soundness to introduce nothing spurious nor foreign but if they who are scrupulous about meats are not sound but are sick and weak for them that are weak he says receive ye but not to doubtful disputations what can be said of those who observe the same fasts with the jews who keep the sabbaths who frequent the places that are consecrated by them i speak of that at Stephen, of that which is called the cave of matron and of the plain in cilicia which is called saturn's how are these sound with them a heavier stroke is necessary why then does he not do the same with the romans because their dispositions were different they were of a nobler character verse fourteen not giving heed he says to jewish fables the jewish tenants were fables in two ways because they were imitators and because the thing was past its season for such things become fables at last for when a thing ought not to be done and being done is injurious it is a fable even as it is useless as then those ought not to be regarded so neither ought these for this is not being sound for if thou believest the faith why dost thou add other things as if the faith were not sufficient to justify why dost thou enslave thyself by subjection to the law hast thou no confidence in what thou believest this is a mark of an unsound and unbelieving mind for one who is faithful does not doubt but such in one evidently doubts verse fifteen under the pure he says all things are pure thou seest that this is said to a particular purpose but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure things then are not clean or unclean from their own nature but from the disposition of him who partakes of them but even their mind and conscience is defiled verse sixteen they profess that they know god but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and to every good work retrobate the swine therefore is clean why then was it forbidden as unclean it was not unclean by nature for all things are pure nothing is more unclean than a fish insomuch as it feeds upon human flesh but it was permitted and considered clean nothing is more unclean than a bird for it eats worms more than a stag which is said to have its name from eating serpents yet all these were eaten why then was swine forbidden and many other things not because they were unclean but to check excessive luxury but had this been said they would not have been persuaded they were restrained therefore by the fear of uncleanliness for tell me if we inquire nicely into these things what is more unclean than wine or than water with which they mostly purified themselves 
they touched not the dead, and yet they were cleansed by the dead. For the victim was dead, and with that they were cleansed. This, therefore, was the doctrine for children. And the composition of wine does not dung form apart. For as the vine draws moisture from the earth, so does it from the dung that is thrown upon it. In short, if we wish to be very nice, everything is unclean. Otherwise, if we please not to be nice, nothing is unclean. Yet all things are pure. God made nothing unclean. For nothing is unclean except sin only. For that which reaches it to the soul and defiles it. Other uncleanliness is human prejudice. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. For how can there be anything unclean among the pure? But he that has a weak soul makes everything unclean. And if there be set abroad a scrupulous inquiry into what is clean or unclean, he will touch nothing. For even these things are not clean. I speak of fish and other things according to their notions. For their mind and conscience, he says, is defiled. But all are impure. Yet Paul says not so. He turns the whole matter upon themselves. For nothing is unclean, he says, but themselves, their mind and their conscience. And nothing is more unclean than these. But an evil will is unclean. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable in disobedience, and unto every good work retrobate. But speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. This then is uncleanness. They are themselves unclean. But be not thou silent on that account. Do thy part, although they may not receive thee. Advise and counsel them, though they may not be persuaded. Here he censures them more severely. For they who are mad imagine that nothing stands still. Yet this arises not from the objects that are seen, but from the eyes that see. Because they are unsteady and giddy, they think that the earth turns round with them, which yet turns not, but stands firm. The derangement is of their own state, not from any affection of the element. So it is here. When the soul is unclean, it thinks all things unclean. Therefore, scrupulous observances are no mark of purity, but it is the part of purity to be bold in all things. For he that is pure by nature ventures upon all things, they that are defiled upon nothing. This we may say against Marcion. Seest thou that it is a mark of purity to be superior to all defilements? To touch nothing implies impurity. This holds even with respect to God. That he assumed flesh is a proof of purity. If through fear he had not taken it, there would have been defilement. He who eats not things that seem unclean is himself unclean and weak. He who eats is neither. Let us not call such pure. They are the unclean. He is pure who dares to feed upon all things. All this caution we ought to exercise towards the things that defile the soul. For that is the uncleanness, that is defilement. None of these things is so. Those who have a vitiated palate think what is set before them is unclean, but this is the effect of their disorder. It becomes us, therefore, to understand the nature of things pure and things unclean. What then is unclean? Sin, malice, covetedness, wickedness. As it is written, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. These observances were emblems of purifications. 
Touch not a dead body, it is said, for sin is such. It is dead and offensive. The leper is unclean, for sin is a leprosy, various and multiform. And that they had this meaning appears from what follows. For if the leprosy is general and overspreads the whole body, he is clean. If it is partial, he is unclean. Thus you see that what is various and, cha and changeable is the unclean thing. He, again, whose seed passes from him is unclean. Consider one that is so in soul, casting away his seed. He who is uncircumcised is unclean. These things are not allegorical, but typical. For he who does not cut off the wickedness of his heart is the unclean person. He who worketh on the Sabbath is to be stoned. That is, he who is not at all times devoted to God shall perish. You see how many varieties of uncleanness there are. The woman in childbed is unclean, yet God made childbirth and the seed of copulation. Why then is the woman unclean unless something further was intimated? And what was this? He intended to produce piety in the soul and to deter it from fornication. For if she is unclean who has born a child, much more she who has committed fornication. If to approach his own wife is not altogether pure, much less to have intercourse with the wife of another. He who attends a funeral is unclean, much more he who has mixed in war and slaughter. And many kinds of uncleanness would be found, if it were necessary to recount them all. But these things are not now required of us, but all is transferred to the soul. For bodily things are nearer to us, from these, therefore, he introduced instruction. But it is not so now, for we ought not to be confined to figures and shadows, but to adhere to the truth and to uphold it. Sin is the unclean thing. From that let us flee, from that let us abstain. If thou camest near it, it will bite thee. Nothing is more unclean than covetousness. Whence is this manifest? From the facts themselves, for what does it not defile? The hands, the soul, the very house where the ill-gotten treasure is laid up. But the Jews consider this as nothing. And yet Moses carried off the bones of Joseph. Samson drank from the jawbone of an ass and ate honey from the lion. And Elijah was nourished by ravens and by a widow woman. And tell me, if we were to be precise about these things, what can be more unclean than our books, which are made of the skins of animals? The fornicator, then, is not the only one that is unclean, but others more than he has the adulterer. But both the one and the other are unclean, not on account of the intercourse, for according to that reasoning a man cohabiting with his own wife would be unclean, but because of the wickedness of the act and the injury done to his neighbor in his nearest interests. Dost thou see that it is the wickedness that is unclean? He who had two wives was not unclean, but David, who had many wives, was not unclean. But when he had one unlawfully, he became unclean. Why? Because he had injured and defrauded his neighbor. And the fornicator is not unclean on account of the intercourse, but on account of the manner of it, because it injures the woman and they injure one another, making the woman common and subverting the laws of nature. For she ought to be the wife of one man, since it is said, male and female created he them, 
and they twain shall be one flesh. Not those many, but they twain shall be one flesh. Here then is injustice, and therefore the act is wicked. Again, when anger exceeds due measure, it makes a man unclean, not in and of itself, but because of its success, since it is not said, he that is angry merely, but angry without a cause. Thus, every way to desire overmuch is unclean, for it proceeds from a greedy and irrational disposition. Let us therefore be sober, I beseech you. Let us be pure in that which is real purity, that we may be thought worthy to see God through Jesus Christ our Lord with whom, etc. End of homily three.